Genesis chapter 30 this evening. Genesis chapter 30. Last week we saw the oppression of Leah and that she was competing for the heart of her husband. And uh, Rachel at the same time was competing for more children. You remember Rachel was barren for quite some time. And the result of both of those uh, conflicts, we could say, was that uh, there was a lot of sin. Rachel became impatient with God and uh, exploded at her husband with anger and consequently schemed to have her first two sons through her maid. So she she passed over her maid um, to Jacob. Jacob married her, had had, uh, the first two sons through this maid. And um, this is after Leah actually had already had four, four sons. And uh, so Jacob's involved in this, what I would call sin, because he should not have married again. Uh, Leah, recognizing that she was no longer bearing children uh, after having four hands over her maid, Zilpah, to Jacob as a wife, and Jacob foolishly takes her as well in order to produce more children and to appease his two wives. Rachel then resorts to uh, what I would call ancient Near Eastern superstition. She uh, purchases the mandrakes that Leah's son finds in the field. She purchases those in order to try to increase her fertility. But remember, we talked about last week, fertility does not come from mandrakes or any other sort of man-made schemes, but fertility ultimately comes from whom? From God, right? So... so um, so that doesn't really work. Leah bears two more sons during this time, and then Rachel finally gives birth to Joseph in verse 23 of chapter 30. And uh, and, and what a troubled uh, mess we have here because of their failure to recognize that it was God who brought about conception. And I hope last week when we looked at that, you didn't say, wow, that's really bad for them. They should have uh, done better. But I hope you saw yourself in Jacob. I hope you saw yourself in Leah and Rachel that that we too often become impatient with God. That we often resort to conflict and bitterness and, and uh, superstition in order to get what we desperately want. We, we can't wait for God to give it to us in His timing so we go ahead of Him and and get it ourselves, whatever means necessary. And what we saw last week is that if we would simply trust God wholeheartedly, believing that He will accomplish His purposes through our humble obedience, active humble obedience, uh, that we would follow His revealed Word, we would save ourselves so much trouble save ourselves so much heartache and save reproach in, uh, of God's name. But ultimately, behind that story, it's not about people. It's really about God. It's about, uh, it's about God controlling the circumstances of life. That, that we saw two times that it was God who opened the womb of Leah. It was God who opened, opened the womb of Rachel. That God is behind it all. That He is controlling it all. And so we must wholeheartedly trust in Him and that ultimately our satisfaction must be found in Him. Not in the things that we want apart from Him. We cannot want those things apart from Him. When our satisfaction is found in Him, then life is going to be the best that it can be for us as Christians because 
even when we lose the things that we don't think that we can live without, we still have God. And our satisfaction is ultimately in Him. And if we don't get that realized dream, if that dream is not realized, then it's okay. Because we still have God. And our satisfaction is ultimately in Him. So the focus of the last passage was on God working through Rachel and Leah. Here, we're going to see in this passage that that um, it's more on the character of Jacob and God working through him. And we'll see God teaching him a very similar lesson that he was teaching to Rachel and Leah. So let's read this passage. It begins in verse 25 of Genesis chapter 30. We'll go down through the end of the chapter. Genesis chapter 30. Verse 25. This is the Word of God. Now it came about when Rachel had borne Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and go to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you and let me depart for you yourself know my service which I have rendered you. But Laban said to him, If now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. He continued, Name me your wages and I will give it. But he said to him, You yourselves know how I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased to a multitude and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now, when shall I provide for my own household also? So he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you'll do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock today, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and such shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come concerning my wages. Everyone that's not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, will be considered stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be according to your word. So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and all the speckled and spotted female goats and every one with white in it and all the black ones among the sheep and gave them into the care of his sons. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white strips in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs, where the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods, and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. And he put his own herds apart and did not put them with Laban's flocks. Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the sight of the flock in the gutters so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. This is a... uh, very interesting story. Uh, we don't really uh, learn about this in Sunday school, um, but it's a very uh, it's a very fascinating story if you understand what's going on here. And I'm trying to ex- explain it to you. But I think what ultimately we're going to see is that material prosperity does not come 
through our own scheming, as Jacob tries to do. But it ultimately comes from God. And it's, it's uh, not easy to see that in this passage, so I'm going to try to carefully walk you through it. Okay, the first thing that we need to see, there's two main points. First is that Jacob seeks the blessing of God by striking a deal with Laban. Now, Jacob's primary goal here is to, to move on, isn't it? In the first few verses we see, okay, Laban, I've served you for these 14 years for your two daughters, now let me go. Let me go to my own home. Remember, this is not Jacob's home. He lived there for 14 years to serve Laban, but, but remember, he came here only supposedly temporarily, right? He came for a couple of reasons. One, he was fleeing from Esau, who was ready to kill him for taking his blessing. And two, he came to find a wife in his mother's hometown. But Jacob was not from here. He was not from Mesopotamia. He was from Beersheba, which is in Canaan, the future promised land. And uh, you'll have to skip ahead to chapter 31, verse 6. And uh, if you will, look down to there, 31, 6. You see why Jacob wants to leave. Explained a little further. He's talking again uh, about Laban, but he's talking to his wives here. He says, You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my waves, wages ten times. Okay, so, so over the course of Jacob's service to his father in law, his, his father in law was, we could say, just as crafty as Jacob. The only difference is it doesn't seem like Laban had um, God as his. Uh, as his Lord in, in his life. So, so Jacob uh, is cheated by his father-in-law and, and uh, Laban keeps changing his wages. We'll look at more at that next week. But God would make it clear to him in chapter 31, verse 3, you know what, it's time to go. After six more years of service, it's time to go, Jacob. And um, so here's what Jacob's saying in verse 26. He's saying, listen, I've purchased, I, I've paid the dowry for both wives. Remember, uh, Laban said initially, okay, um, Jacob says, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel, and, and his father-in-law says, or uncle at that time, um, what is it that I can, what is I can give you for your service? And he says, all I want is the hand of your daughter in marriage. And so I'll work for you. And he said, I'll work for you seven years for that time. This is a dowry. This is a bride price that was paid uh, for her, well, obviously he gets tricked out of that and has to marry Le- Leah first, but then later on marries Rachel and pays the dowry for her as well. So here's what he's saying in verse 26: Let me go. I'm done. I've, I've done my duty. But Laban doesn't want him to go. Why do you suppose that Laban doesn't want him to go? Okay, he's he's being blessed. He says that in verses 27 and 28. He says at the end of the verse, verse 27, I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account, as if he needed to go through some process of divination to figure that out. Okay, I, I've gone through this pagan practice of divination. It was either um, the interpreting of omens or using some supernatural knowledge that was uh, against God in order to increase um, understanding on a particular area. This is a pagan practice. And the information was correct, however. It was from God. It was His prosperity was a result of God. And so he doesn't want Jacob to go. Now, just because some of these pagan practices work, keep in mind, doesn't make them right. It's like the fleece of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Just because it worked doesn't make it right. Laban wants him to stay because he wants to maintain and, and increase in prosperity. 
he recognizes that it is ultimately Jacob whom the Lord is prospering. And so if I can keep Jacob close to me, then I will, I will also increase in prosperity. And this is in keeping with the promise to Jacob, which Laban very well could, have, could not have known about. And that is, I will bless those who bless you. Remember chapter 27, verse 29, Isaac says this to Jacob as he's leaving. This is the word of God to you, Jacob. Just like he said to my father Abraham, he is going to bless those who bless you. You know who one of those per- persons was? It was Laban. He was blessed on account of Jacob. And so he says, Laban, in verse 28, says, how much is it going to cost me? How much is it going to cost me to keep you? Name a price. Name your wages, he says, and I will give it. But Jacob refuses. And he refuses for three reasons in verses 29-30. Number one, because Laban has accumulated great wealth. He says, you yourselves know how I have served you and how your cattle have fared with me. So you've accumulated great wealth. And then verse 30, second reason, is that this great wealth is a result of God prospering me. See that in verse 30? For you had little before I came and has increased to a multitude. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. So I don't want to stick around with you because you've accumulated great wealth and your wealth is a result of me. And number three, I want to now enrich my own family. That's the end of verse 30. When shall I provide for my own household? Jacob wanted to enrich himself. I don't think we should see this as a a greedy thing, but he simply wants to he wants to see, you know, I've got my own family to take care of, and you have been cheating me along the way, not giving me what uh, I really deserve. And I've uh, he's later going to say in chapter 31 that that when when things were stolen from me, you put that to my account, even though it shouldn't been shouldn't have been that should have been uh, taken from your account. And so Jacob gives a counter offer. Notice verse 31, Laban says, well, fine, what is it that you want? He says, what shall I give you? And Jacob says this, here's the deal. You shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. Let me pass through your entire flock, verse 32, uh, removing from there every speckled and spotted sheep and every black one among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats. And such shall be my wages. Here's the deal. I'm going to work for you. I'm going to continue to care for your flocks, Laban. But you have to give something to me in return for, for me caring for your flocks. Now, we're going to find out next week in chapter 31, verse 41, that, that it's going to be six more years that he's going to work for Laban before he, he leaves in the, the, uh, the middle of the day. Um, so that's what Laban gets. He gets more work, more labor of Jacob. Jacob would receive in return all the speckled and spotted animals. Now this is, um, this is really what the passage is, is focusing on, these speckled and spotted animals. Now, generally speaking, these are rare. These are rare animals. Normally you have the, the, um, the, the common type of sheep are what color? White. Okay, they're just all white sheep. Well, there are occasionally some who are born that are speckled and spotted. And, uh, and generally, goats are what color? They're generally black or brown, right? But they're all solid color. And, and occasionally, you'll have some white speckles, white spots on them, uh, stripes potentially. And so Jacob's saying, I'm, I want to take all the rare animals that you have. I'm, I'm going to take those from you. 
And here's how you can tell if I'm cheating you. You can come to me anytime and look at my flock. And if I have any pure colored animals, any white sheep or black goats, if I have any of those, then you can just, you can say that they are stolen. That's what he says in verse 33. You can say that because we, we have a clear arrangement here. So Laban is thinking, okay, he may be scheming here. He may be scheming here. He's probably going to try to take his speckled and spotted animals and mate them with my stronger animals. And when he does that, then he's going to grow his herd to be very huge. And so what I'm going to do, and you'll see this here in just a minute, Laban uh, saw right through his scheme and decided, you know what, I'm going to take all those away. I'm going to take all the speckled and spotted. All he's going to have to herd from the very beginning are pure-colored sheep and pure-colored goats. And it's going to be a challenge for him to get what he thinks he's going to get. That's what Laban's doing. Uh, we'll see that here in verses 35 and 36. Notice, actually, we'll look there right now. Laban agrees in verse 34, Good, let it be according to your word. He's happy to do it. And then notice verse 35. If you read this the first time, it sounds like Jacob is removing the speckled and spotted sheep because verse 35 begins by saying, So he removed on that day the striped and spotted male goats and the speckled and spotted female goats, every one with white in it, and all the black ones among the sheep, and gave them into the care of his sons. And if we just read that for the first time, we think, well, Jacob's the one who's tending the sheep. So Jacob's the one who takes them out and gives them to the care of his sons. But there's two, two uh, reasons. Um, there, are, there are a couple reasons why we know that this is not the case, that this is not Jacob. Number one, notice who he gives the sheep to at the end of the verse. And he gave them into the care of his sons. Now, how long had Jacob been married? Any idea? Was it 14 years? No. Remember, he had to work the first seven years before he got Leah's hand in marriage, and then he had to finish out the marriage festivals, the marriage ceremony week with Leah, and then he married Rachel right away because he wasn't going to work another seven years and have Laban trick him again. So Laban said, you can marry her. He was able to marry her right away. So how long had he been married at this time? Seven years. Okay, so how old would Reuben and Simeon be at this time? Okay, probably five or six years old. So if Jacob's pulling out all the speckled and spotted sheep and goats and giving them to his sons doesn't seem to, to, to make a whole lot of sense, does it? Um, it doesn't make sense that they, he would be giving them to a couple of waist-high little boys. Um, notice the end of verse 36. because, Or actually, just look at verse 36, the whole verse. And he put a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob. Okay, so this really helps clarify for us who the he is in verse 35. That he put a distance of three days' journey between himself, who could that be? Laban and Jacob. So what's going on here? As soon as Laban agrees to the terms, verse 34, before he gives Jacob care of the flocks, he pulls out all of Jacob's speckled and spotted resources. He says, these are mine. He takes them away and takes them three days' journey between 
probably 45 and 60 miles away so that he has no possibility of trying to breed that crossbreed them with his strong uh, um, sheep and goats. He gives them into the care of his sons. Remember, Laban's uh, the father of Rachel and Leah. He's going to be older, much older than... than uh, and so he's going to have older sons. It makes a lot of sense. And so what does Jacob have left? All he has left to care for are those pure-colored sheep and the pure-colored goats that all belong to Laban. What is Jacob trying to do? He's trying to make... Uh, to, to develop some wealth for his own family. So here's what he starts with. Absolutely nothing. The agreement was he would take all the speckled and spotted sheep and at least start with that. So at the end, if none of those made it and got stronger and, and, and his herd got larger, he would at least have those. But no. He starts with absolutely nothing. But in verses 37 to 42, we see that um, we see that, um, that that God blesses Jacob despite the material prosperity. Um, despite Jacob's scheming, God blesses Jacob with material prosperity. And here's how Jacob outwits Laban. Verses 37-42. Jacob's goal here is first to... He has to first get some speckled and spotted sheep. Okay, that's the first thing. We're going to see that here in verses 37 through 40. He's going to use these, these branches, these peeled branches, in order to try to make this happen. And then once he gets the speckled and spotted sheep, then he has a whole process of mating them with the stronger of the pure-colored sheep and goat, goats. And then he, what he's doing is he's not allowing his speckled and spotted sheep to mate with the weaker animals. Okay, so let me try to explain what's going on here. Verses 37 through 40 is the way that he's getting the speckled and spotted offspring. He, he's trying to produce them. There, there was common understanding um, during that time that speckled and spotted sheep's, sheep uh, would result from the mating process. That is, when the male and female goat came together, if they saw a vivid sight then that would put a, a vivid marking on the embryo. And so here's Jacob's idea. If that's the way that speckled and spotted offspring come, then I'm going to give the animals a vivid sight at the time of conception. So what Jacob does is he grabs some branches from a tree, three different types of tree, almond, poplar, and plain, and he peels strips off of these branches. So you have like a striped look on these branches. He peels it all the way back to the, the, the inside wood there. So you have like a white, uh, white and then the bark and then the white and then the bark and so on and all the way around. He takes these branches and he puts them in the gutters, the watering troughs, so that when the man, animals come to mate, that they see this strike, this stark, vivid picture, this vivid, these vivid branches. And so while they're drinking, they mate, and, uh, and while they come to drink, they mate, and, and supposedly they're bringing forth these speckled and spotted embryos. Let me just read uh, for you again these verses, verse 37 through 39. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled with white, white strips in them, exposing the white which was in the rods. 
And he set the rods which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs, where the the flocks came to drink. And they mated when they came to drink. So the flocks mated by the rods. And the flocks brought forth stripes, speckled and spotted, because they animals. There you go. Look at the result. Ta-da! It worked. Speckled and spotted sheep and goats. Exactly as Jacob had planned it. But the problem with Jacob's understanding is that those animals were not a result of his superstitious practices. Those animals were a result of God's good pleasure. That God was shining His grace upon Jacob and producing this strong flock for him that would allow him to have great wealth. Now you say, wait a second. The text clearly says that Jacob put these in the water and that in verse 39, the result was that it brought about speckled and spotted offspring. How can this not in some way be credited to Jacob? Why can't we just call this resourcefulness? Or why can't we just call this wisdom? I'll show you why from the text in just a second. Why I believe that this was not a result of Jacob's scheming. But let me just give you two examples to help answer the question. Let me give you an ancient example first. One from last week. What was it that Rachel thought she needed in order to bear a son to Jacob, for Jacob? Mandrakes, right? These yellow-colored, tomato-sized fruit that were supposed to uh, help in the, the fertility of a woman. And so she purchased the mandrakes. But what was it that ultimately called Rachel, caused Rachel to have children? Look at verse 22, and that is correct. Then God remembered Rachel, and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. Not the mandrakes. Those mandrakes very well could have been in the room. They could have eaten from those mandrakes before they, they, uh, they came together. But, but ultimately, the conception that took place was a result of God opening her womb. Okay, so there's an ancient example. Let me give you a modern one that will show you that sometimes superstitious practices look like they work, but they're ultimately of God. You ever heard of an Indian river dance, or excuse me, Indian rain dance? Okay, what, what's going on there? Indians dance around and, and they ask their gods to send rain. And do they ever get it? Absolutely. Why? Because God pours out his he pours down his rain on the just and the unjust. That, that as they dance around, their superstitious practices look like they work. But who was it that ultimately gave the rain? Was it the Indians? Was it their special moves that they were doing? Was it because they got such a large group of Indians together? No. It's a result of God. So here's the point of application for us. Before I show you the scriptural proof that this was a superstitious practice and it was ultimately God who brought about the speckled and spotted offspring. Let me just try to apply this for us. Don't use superstition to try to get what you want. 
use the God-revealed means. That is, what He has told us in His Word. Follow that. Don't follow after common human conventions or, or old wives' tales. You know, things like... Um, you know, when, when we say something about our own prosperity and we don't want to jinx ourselves, we knock on wood. Right? In order to try to protect ourselves. Or, or having a, a lucky penny. Or not having a floor, on, not, not having a, an office on the 13th floor. I mean, these sorts of things are, are nonsense. Ultimately, it's God who brings about the protection. Okay, watching, watching out carefully now because we've had a black cat cross our path or because we've broken a mirror or we've walked under a ladder or we've stepped on a crack. It is ultimately God who provides the protection. God who, who brings the, the, um, the progress, the, the prosperity. And so we should not move to whatever superstitious practices I mean, I could give hundreds of examples from the sporting world and, and so on because I'm, I'm very familiar with that. And all these guys wear these, sometimes they wear the same socks over and over again or same whatever, and, and they go through the same rituals, eat the same meals because they think that helps them in some way. But ultimately, their success or failure is a result of God and His plan. And the same thing is true here. Now, this should not lead us to a defeatist mentality or what we could call fatalism. Fatalistic mentality. That is, well, God's already going to cause it. Whatever's going to happen, we'll let it happen. I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. That's not what I'm suggesting. And that's why I said, instead of the superstitious practices, we ought to follow God's revealed Word. We ought to actively obey God as He's told us to. Because He uses those means to accomplish His purposes. And amazingly, when we go away from that and we follow all those foolish ideas, God can overrule us at times. God can overrule us at any time. And He can accomplish His purpose despite us instead of through us. Turn to chapter 31, verse 10, and I'll show you from Scripture why I know that this was superstitious of Jacob. Chapter 31, verse 10. And it came about at the time when the flock were mating that I lifted up my eyes. Jacob again is talking to his wives about why we should leave your father's household and go back to Jacob's country. While I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the male goats which were mating were striped, speckled, and, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. Okay, and he goes on. And he says, Now arise and leave this land. So here's what God is saying. Jacob said, Behold, after I... I had this great wealth of resources, all this great, these great flocks. I had a dream, and God came to me and He said something to me. He said, Jacob, you look at all these animals that you have now. You see all of them there? It's because I saw the oppression that Laban was, was giving to you, that, that you were receiving from Laban. In other words, it was me who brought about those speckled and spotted animals. It wasn't you. 
It was me. And Jacob acknowledges this in verse 9. Before he talks about this vision that he had, this dream that he had with God, verse 9 says, Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. See, this, this dream had already happened. And so when Jacob goes back to reflect on it and talk to his wives about it, he said it was actually God who did it. It was God who took away the flock of Laban and he gave them to me. And then he goes on to tell the dream. Here's what God said to me. He did this because Laban had been oppressing me. That is, that God was the one. How, how did these speckled and spotted animals come about? It was God who genetically altered their code, their, who miraculously altered their genetic code so that they would, be, they would have the speckled and spotted uh, wool. And so, what I would say to you is that God often tolerates our schemes and He often works apart from them and sometimes through our schemes. That is, that God is going to accomplish His purpose. God is in the heaven and He does whatever He pleases. He can do whatever He pleases. No plan, Job said, of yours can be thwarted. God is sovereign over all things. And if He wants Jacob to have a large flock, He's going to give it to him. Whether through schemes or otherwise. So, Jacob's first step was to get the speckled and spotted animals. Turn back to chapter uh, 30. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, chapter 30. The second step is for the animals to mate with the stronger ones. Now that he has a core of speckled and spotted animals, now that they've grown to adults, he can start mating them with the stronger ones. So he wouldn't allow them to mate with the weaker ones. He would only allow them to mate with the stronger ones. And we see this in verses 41 and 42. Moreover, whenever the stronger of the flock were mating, Jacob would place the rods in the side of the flock in the gutter so that they might mate by the rods. But when the flock was feeble, he did not put them in so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. So step two is to make the speckled and spotted herd stronger and larger. And so when the stronger flock would mate, they would mate by the rods that Jacob would set up in the troughs. But when the weak flock were mating, he did not put the rods in the water. And so Jacob's thinking all along that as I put these rods in the water, that's what's causing them to to mate. That's what's causing them to to bring about these stronger animals. And so over time, what you have is, remember, he began with all these pure-colored sheep and pure-colored goats, and none of them were his. But over time, we find that at the end, all that Laban has left is a lot of pure-colored, weak sheep and goats. A bunch of feeble little animals that are worthless. And Jacob has this huge herd, huge flock, I should say, of 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 sheep and goats that are all speckled and spotted. So Laban can come in and inspect all he wants. But this was the agreement. He would he he would not have been stealing if if they were uh, speckled and spotted. If they were striped. And so we see the result in verse 43 that Jacob increases in wealth. So the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Again, this is all a result of God's good pleasure.
Let me leave you with four points of application for our own lives. We probably won't find ourselves in a similar situation where we're given wages like this and have to to uh, try to make our flocks larger uh, in this way. So let me try to make application for us from this passage. Number one, despite our human convention conventions, the Lord is faithful to all of His promises. The Lord is faithful to all of His promises. We may scheme... We may work in order to prosper, and we may feel that this effort, when we get to the other side and we see all the resources that we've accumulated, we look back and we say, that was all of me. It was all my hard work. Because I have a strong work ethic. Because I worked harder than others. Because I was more ingenious. Because I was, more wi- I was wiser than everyone else. It was a result of me. But genuine believers will later recognize, as Jacob will, that their prosperity came from God. That God was faithful to His promise to His people, specifically to Jacob. That He would bless him. That it was God who was blessing him. So that when we look back at our lives and we say, wow, look at all the spiritual progress that I have. Look at all this material prosperity that I have. Wise believers will look back and say, that was not a result of me. That was, that was in spite of me. That God could have easily taken everything away. I could have easily faltered and given up by now, but God held me up. God walked with me through the valley, and now I'm still standing. And I can't attribute any of it to myself. Wise believers will attribute success, whether material, financial, spiritual, they will attribute it to God. Jacob is still a work in progress. The Lord is faithful to His promises. Number two, the Lord is always with us. The Lord is always with us. We can't forget this. Remember Jacob's ladder? What was the point of that story? What was the point of that event in Jacob's life? It was to show that God had a relationship with His people, that He was up in heaven and angels angels were ascending and descending down these staircases down to the earth and ministering to Jacob. That God is not far away and completely removed from His creation as if He doesn't care. He's always with us. Does Jesus care? When our hearts have failed, does Jesus care when we're weary, when we've lost a friend as we've sung? I know He cares. I know that He's touched by my grief. We know that He cares because He was willing to give Himself for us. The greatest display of His love and His care for us was when He gave Himself for us. What greater love than a, that a man can show than he, that He laid down His life for His friends? Of course He cares. The Lord is always with us. He's not going to leave us. That was a reminder to Jacob. I am God. I am the Creator. I made you. I control all things, but I'm still near you. I'm still working to have a relationship with you where I can live among you. And and right now I'm ministering to you through my angels. Don't forget it. The Lord is always with us. And we still have that promise today, Hebrews 13.5. He will never 
leave us nor forsake us. He'll never desert us. It's not as if God gets so frustrated with us. That's enough. I'm done with you. Be gone from me. Get away. He keeps coming back. He keeps coming after us because He cares. He will always be with us. Number three. And I think this is the point of of this passage here. God often gives delayed illumination. Okay, you, you see in that word, or you understand what that word means, illumination. Okay, when we when we come into church at night, it's dark, and we turn the lights, and it, the room becomes illumined. Okay, it becomes lightened. That's the idea. That God gives us delayed enlightenment, delayed illumination. Oftentimes, He gives us delayed illumination. The fact that God was doing the blessing did not become clear to Jacob until several years later. It was probably at the end of this whole process. The whole time he was meticulously getting this bark ready, putting it in the water, uh, or these branches ready, putting it in the water, making sure that the right animals came to the trough, and ultimately it was God who was doing it. Finally, God comes to him in a dream and says, Jacob, all your scheming is not a result of you. All your prosperity is not because of your scheming. It's because of me. We often receive delayed illumination. Many times we carry on throughout life naively and often resistantly to what God has told us to do and sometimes defiantly. And we think we are the source of our own blessing. Thank you, me, for working so hard. Thank you, me, for not giving up. A few months ago, when I was studying through Revelation chapter 12 in preparation for um, that sermon, I, I learned from the text there that there's a real spiritual battle going on. That, that there are, uh, that Satan and his demons are at work in this world to oppose me. That he is there to oppose our church, to try to to get us to give up. And when I studied that, I, I got a clearer sense than I'd ever gotten before of the reality of the demonic world. And I recognized how helpless I really am on my own. Shamefully, I thought all these years, I was doing enough to sustain my own spiritual life. As long as I worked and and obeyed and worked to to follow God, then then God would have to bless me. And that that this would have to work when ultimately there's this huge spiritual battle going on between Satan and his demons and, and God and his angels. And they're fighting over something very important. And that's my soul. And that's your soul. And if God removed His army at any time, I would be destroyed. I'd be destroyed. You would be destroyed. 
God graciously illumines our mind over time, even though year after year we think it was us. It was us who brought the prosperity. When it was always God. It was always God. See what's going on here? God is working to bring Jacob, to to conform him into the image of himself. To to conform him to his mold, not the mold of the world. That's easy for us to do. That happens automatically. In order to do that, he has to give him some delayed illumination. Jacob, you wouldn't have understood if I told you back then because you you were too obstinate. But now that you've walked through it, let me talk to you for a second. It wasn't you, Jacob. It wasn't you. It was me. And that's a gracious thing for our God to do that. To delay our illumination at times because we, we, we're not ready for it. God knows. So He graciously shares with us what we need to learn. We look back on ourselves and we're ashamed. But that will help us, I can guarantee you, down the road. And those times will often come. Okay, That's not something... Okay, I, I had my, my, my experience there with Revelation chapter 12, so I'm done for the, for the rest of my life. Okay, those, are, those times are often going to come when we recognize that we, we are incapable apart from God, that apart from Christ we can do nothing Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, we, the, the watchmen keep watch in vain. Delayed illumination number four. We must, rightly, we must learn to rightly respond to mistreatment. We must learn to rightly respond to mistreatment. How do you handle situations where an unbeliever is mistreating you or even a person in your family or in this church, how do you handle that? Do you fight fire with fire? Do you, do you overcome their schemes with your schemes? Do you try to turn the tables on them so that they receive the rebuke from God? No. The answer is to recognize that that's not ultimately your responsibility. That God is ultimate control. And we're going to wholeheartedly trust in God with what He has told us to do in His Word and what He has told us that He will set out to do. We're going to follow Him and His promises. We're going to leave all the results to Him. We can't ultimately bring about change ourselves. And if people are going to try to mistreat us, if they're not going to to be kind to us, if they're going to try to, to rub our name into the dirt, we're not going to to lash back at them and try to, 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 to make it happen to them in return. Instead, we'll entrust ourselves to God. And ultimately, He provides the success from the very beginning. And so the lesson here, like last week, is to acknowledge God as the true source of our success. Whatever part of your life that you're having success, the only thing you can contribute it to, not yourself, not the people around you, not your money, not your resources. It's God. It's all God. Because when God has planned not to bless, 
No scheme of man can force him to bless. And when God has planned to bless someone, nothing can stop him from blessing them. Laban tried all he could to keep Jacob from being blessed by God. He wanted all the blessings himself. And so he took away all the speckled and spotted sheep. But God had already planned to bless Jacob. And so Jacob was going to be blessed. And if he started to work in you, then he will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's promised to bless you and to continue that blessing all the way until the end. No scheme of man can stop that from happening. As Paul says in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate us from the love which is in Christ Jesus. Not life, death, angels, principalities, and those demonic creatures we're thinking about, they can't stop us. No power of hell, no scheme of man. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. Because when God plans to bless, He will bless. And our response should be, we praise You, God. It was all You. We acknowledge Him for His worth, not pat ourselves on the back. Let's pray. Father, I'm humbled at Your mercy to each one of us here, and I'm ashamed at my um, my pride, my arrogance to think that I contributed anything to my own spiritual life, my own material prosperity. Thank You for the story of Jacob, the events that took place in his life. Thank you for allowing them to be preserved for us that we can reflect on them and think about ourselves in light of you. And I ask for your grace to help us see you more clearly and see ourselves more clearly. And as a result, in our own sin, may you illumine us to the truth of what is going on in our lives. Help us to acknowledge You in all things. Lean not on our own understandings, but in all our ways acknowledge You, for You will direct our paths. It's very easy for us to to head off in our own direction, to move on ahead of You, to to, uh, reject Your decision for our lives and go on and get what we don't need because we think we do need it. We, we put ourselves into so much trouble and, and we want to be faithful servants of You. We want to love You for You. We recognize that that, that will bring with it its prosperity and its gifts, but that's not ultimately why we love You. We love You because You gave Your Son for us. <clears throat> that You displayed Your love in no greater way than to allow Him to come and to die for our sins, to become like one of us, to live like us, to be tempted, to be scorned, beaten and killed. And then You proved that, that His sacrifice was enough when You raised Him from the dead. Help us to be motivated to serve You more. Humble us before You. Reveal to us where we have been proud and, and uh, insolent. Help us to Love you more. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.